What a joy it is to be together. This is the favorite day of the week for me as I go through my week. It's always a day I long to. I, I wish it would arrive quicker. I wish the seven days went faster that we might be together more in these moments and opportunities that we have to worship the Lord. And so it's always a great time just to be together. <clears throat> As you can tell <clears throat> in our time this morning, we're not going to be in Luke. <clears throat> From time to time, as I think about our communion times together, I, uh, I oftentimes ponder the death and burial and resurrection of Christ and think about the implications of all of that, and my mind goes all kinds of different places. And so this morning, I, I want to take us back to the end. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. I was thinking this week about life and the consequences of life. I, I uh, got a vivid uh, picture of that yesterday morning in somewhat of a trivial way. Uh, our neighbor has chickens, or had some chickens, I should say. I woke up yesterday morning to let our dogs outside and followed a trail of white feathers down into our front yard to where I found one of their chickens. And, uh, and then I came back inside after trying to keep the dogs away from the chicken that was there in my front yard and looked out the back door up on the hill behind our yard and I saw a white bump up there and I said, I wonder what that is. And I looked up there and sure enough, there was another white chicken and they only had two chickens next door, and <clears throat> then I looked, and sure enough, the reality was still there. The fox was standing there over the chicken having his breakfast, and I thought, well, that's a, a vivid example of somewhat of what I'm going to preach on this morning in the reality of consequences. When we don't do things we ought, there are consequences that come, <clears throat> For those of you who have wildlife like that, I would assume you don't put those things away. <clears throat> Inevitably, the predator comes and the consequences are there in the morning for you to clean up. Revelation chapter 22 <clears throat> helps us understand this principle in some wonderful ways. <clears throat> and I want to just spend our time in the final few verses of chapter 22 verses 18 through 21. I'll just read it for us this morning as we begin. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 18, it says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which is written in which are written in this book he who testifies to these things says yes i am coming quickly amen come lord jesus the grace of the lord jesus be with all amen several years ago we took a lengthy study through the book of revelation together 
And as we did that, we learned much about the future history of the world in which we live. We spent months and months and months studying through each and every chapter and each and every one of the judgments of God upon the earth to come during the time of the tribulation. We saw the glories to come for all who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. In fact, many, when we were studying through that, would come up to me after messages and say, Pastor, there's so much judgment here. When are we going to get to the, to the stuff that there's no more judgment? And I said, it's coming. It's coming. And of course, we, we got there when we got to the end, when we got to chapter 19, 20, and 21. We learned a lot about what is to come and the tribulation judgment of all who reject Jesus Christ, all who foolishly turn their back on the truth, all who do not acknowledge and receive what God has said. And so here in Revelation chapter 22, at the end, these are the final words to which all of Scripture moves us. These are the final words to which began back in Genesis chapter 1, moving all the way through the redemptive history of God, these final words, everything brings us to this point. All that we hear from God in His Word culminates right here in these final words in Revelation chapter 22. We might even, even say these are the last words on the mind of God for us. God could have said all kinds of things to us. He could have given us more than what He has given us in Genesis through Revelation 22. And yet, God in one sense couldn't give us any more because He gave us exactly what we need for life and for godliness. And so here are the final words of God to us. The promise of God that, was, that began all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, whereby He he promised to all of humanity that one would come, one who would crush the serpent's head, one who would deal the blow that all of us could not deal in reference to sin. The one who would come, he would come and, and for all take upon himself the penalty of sin and death. He would rise unto life again. That, that was promised by God back in the beginnings. And God, by His grace, has accomplished all of what He said through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came as He said He would. He came as Savior. He did come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came and did that. He came on a divine rescue mission. And for those who have believed, for, for those of us who even sitting here this morning have, have embraced Jesus Christ, we have heard the gospel and we have embraced the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. For, for those who are genuine Christians, we have been rescued by Jesus Christ from the punishment and power of sin. We have been spared the eternal fires of hell to come. We have been rescued from the power of death. 
God tells us in Colossians 1, we have been transferred from the domain of darkness. We have been ripped out of it by the rescuing hand of God. We have been transferred into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And here we are in Revelation chapter 22 and tells us that He is coming again. He is coming again. He is coming again, not this time though as Savior, He has come as Savior, and now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Stop rejecting if you are rejecting. Next time He comes, He's coming not as a Savior. Next time, He is coming as a judge. And He will render to every man according to their deeds. And so as assuredly as the promise was made back in Genesis chapter 3, as assuredly as the promise was accomplished fully in time as God had unfolded and carried out the very divine wisdom of His will in time, so too, right here in Revelation chapter 22, we hear the words of Jesus from the glories of heaven. Notice what He is proclaiming. I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. Our world doesn't believe that. Our world doesn't believe that statement. They don't acknowledge it, and they certainly don't acknowledge it because to them it is simply fable, foolishness. I am coming quickly. And the sad reality, unfortunately, is that there are many within evangelicalism who don't believe that either. Oh, certainly they would say they believe in Jesus Christ. They they talk about the things of the Bible, and yet, by their very living, they certainly can't be believing that because their lives don't reflect what the Scriptures teach. This is a promise of God. This is as ironclad a promise as it was back in Genesis 3 when God said that He would send one who would bruise the serpent's head. This promise is ironclad to those who believe, and yet it ought to be a frightening warning to everyone who refuses to entrust themselves to what God has declared concerning His Son. Jesus Himself, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Himself is saying here from the glories of heaven, make no mistake about it, I am coming quickly. And so as we we sit here this day and as we think about this this very day, we ought to be sitting here thinking that there is a human responsibility within these words, within this command of God, within this, this phraseology in which God uses for us, there is a responsibility upon us to heed these words. I am coming quickly. And so there is a human responsibility for us to understand that He will render to every person according to their deeds. Every person is to receive their deserved reward 
Jesus is saying, I am coming quickly. And here is a spiritual responsibility to receive these truths just as they are. Notice, notice here what our text says this morning. And I just want to highlight a couple of things before our time around the communion table to kind of draw us into the reality of the sober-mindedness with which we ought to have when it comes to the things of God. It's easy for us to say we are sober-minded. It's easy for us to say that we take the things of God seriously, and certainly we mean that by way of our words, and, and yet oftentimes it may not be the reflection of our life. But notice what it says, beginning in verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things, he who is giving witness to the very reality of the veracity and truth of what is being said and what has been said, testifies to these things and says, yes, I am coming quickly. As I was reading through this this week, it became apparent to me in an impactful way as I shared with you just a moment ago that human life is a life of consequences. Many of you may not know this about me, but when I was young, I was very fearful of the police. Now I have one in the family. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. But I was fearful of the police and the consequences of breaking the law. Knowing that there, there were consequences for actions that were against the law, that broke the law, that fear hemmed in my life. It, 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 it protected my life in a good way. My, my father would, would teach my brothers and I as we were, we were growing up about consequences. And, and he used to remind us that if we fail to plan, then we better plan to fail. That little, that little statement was simply a statement on, in his mind to ensure that in his boys that they understood that there are consequences in life. And if you fail to do what is necessary in order to carry out whatever it is, the plan you might have, then you might as well just be preparing yourself for the consequences of failure. It was a principle about consequences. Poor planning, with poor planning comes poor outcomes. And God has shown that same principle throughout the Scriptures. This is where my father got it. God, in Genesis, 
with our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if they did that, then there was a consequence. They would surely die. The principle is being laid forth in the perfect, the perfect economy in which God had placed them in. There was no sin yet. They hadn't fallen. They hadn't chosen to disregard the words of God. And yet God in His wisdom lays out for them a path that says, listen, there are consequences in life. If you disobey, then the consequence comes. If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And so what did they do? They disobeyed. They tried the Word of God. They tested it to see if that be so. They certainly heard lies from the evil one, the, the liar of lies, the father of lies. They heard those lies. Eve was deceived by those lies, and Adam himself was right there with Eve, not leading her as God had shown him to lead and created him to lead. And here they are now plunging themselves into the consequence that came upon them and upon all who would follow after them that were coming after in their human progeny. And of course, we know the principle. We, we live the principle. We, we understand the principle. We are part of that humanity. We understand for the wages of sin, there's the consequence, wages, the consequence of sin is death. It's before us every day of the week in our lives here on this earth. Every person dies. Life is filled with consequence. And here in Revelation 22, we find this same truth. God begins with that, and He ends with that. The entire Scriptures are bookended with this principle. What do we do with these words? What do we do with these words? And what we do with them has consequences for us for all eternity. There's nothing more important in life than what you do with these words. The words of God. The words of this book. What you do with its content and what you do with its completeness. God says they are not to be tampered with in any way. And you may notice, you may notice that to tamper with this book either in its content, in other words, all that it is, so if you add to it, that's the contents of the book, if you, you do something to the contents of the book, or its completeness, you take away from its completeness, you invite upon yourself an eternal consequence. You invite upon yourself the personal judgment of God. Tinkering with what God has said from Genesis to Revelation has serious consequence. If anyone adds to them, verse 18, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from this prophecy, God will take away 
is part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. So as we think about communion this morning, I want us to begin with what is being said right here. What does this tampering look like in life? What does it look like? I mean, this is a very severe thing. This is the exclamation point on all of Scripture. This is God saying to us, listen, the last thing you have ringing in your ears is this. Don't tamper with what I said. What does that tampering look like so that we might ensure that we're not tampering with what God said? The first thing certainly that we can say is what we already know to be true from Scripture and what we know to be true about God Himself in His very character. We know that God here isn't talking about some kind of error that some copyists might have made in the copying of, of the Scriptures down through the ages. <clears throat> We know that because of who God is. In an amazing way, our God has preserved His accurate Word down through the ages, and He has preserved it for all of humanity so that we have in our hands what you hold in your hands, what you read on your electronic device, what you have before you is today His Holy Word. <clears throat> we can say that with declarative assurance and certainty because God would not be God if He could not get His Word to us without error. If God could not do what He says He is in the very Word that we have before us, then the point is we have no God. We, we are the most foolish of all people and certainly our world would call us that. But we know who our God is, and we know that God is sovereign over all things, and particularly He is in sovereign over His Word. What God says He will do, that has happened throughout the history of time, and certainly God preserves His Word. Even if it comes to us through the instrumentality of sinful men. God preserved His Word to us without error, even though He used humanity to bring it to us because second peter chapter one clearly tells us that they were carried along by the holy spirit it was the holy spirit bringing these things to us so so we know here at the end of revelation that god isn't talking about copy mistakes and in a sense secondly he isn't even speaking about a, a straightforward disregard and disobedience to the truth of this book he, he, he wouldn't have to put an exclamation point on that. That has been a theme from the very beginning in the garden all the way through the entire Bible. He has already said it very clearly over and over again throughout this entire book. The Scriptures as a whole clearly show the principle of consequences. Disobedience to this truth already carries its penalty. God has said that so many times that we don't even have to restate it. So the Apostle John, by means of the Holy Spirit carrying him along, I don't believe is relying or relaying to us what God says about 
copying errors or even general disobedience to the Word of God. Man's heart is bent against God. He wants nothing to do with the Word of God. And so we know that in this book, God unfolds His purpose through the second person of the Trinity. We know that God unfolds exactly what He said in Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the revelation through Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who triumphs over our enemies. Jesus Christ is the one who crushes the serpent's head, Satan himself. And yet Satan is still allowed to do his damage. And the enemy, Satan himself, would make great attempts to keep man from this book. That's what Satan would love to do. Listen, stay away from the truth. We were even learning in Sunday school this morning about Paul's exhortation to Timothy and Paul saying to Timothy, listen, don't have anything to do with the mythological nonsense that's out there that people spew all the time about things that they claim are true. Have nothing to do with that. You spend your time with the truth. You spend your time with the Word of God. You train yourself in godliness. And so Satan would attempt to have anyone just stay away from the truth. Why? Because he knows what the truth does. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But if that fails, then what better way than to just alter its contents? What better way to deceive than to have someone add to it or subtract from it? so that the truth that God has laid forth is confused, that it's even invalidated in the minds of men. And so tampering with the content of this book can be done in one of two ways. And both are to be seen here, not as just a single thing, but both are to be seen here as the outworking of the heart. In other words, it's a settled reality in the heart that shows itself in the life. What is being implied at the end here in these words is that these are not one-time incidences. In other words, adding to the Word or subtracting from the Word are not one-time things. What is being implied here is that this tampering is actually the outworking of a belief system. The outworking of a very core-centered belief. And so this is the outworking of a belief that, re that reflects itself in the outworking of the life of the person doing it. Belief systems are seen. Their faith is seen, not seen in the words of saying I have faith, but as James says, it's seen in what we do. Belief systems are seen. And so a belief system whereby it takes, takes away from and adds to the Scriptures is seen in a life. In other words, it's a mindset. The mindset about the Word of God that is seen in how a person lives. And you say, how? Well, first, John relays to us here 
that it's first seen by adding to the words of this book. I don't mean first in the sense that this comes first and then subtracting comes second. I just mean that by way, that's how John's put it here. This is first in our mind, first in our idea here, adding to the words of Scripture. Testify to everyone, verse 18, who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them. In other words, if anyone says more than what Scripture says. This kind of prohibition has been given throughout the Scriptures. It's not new. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2, God said it this way, you shall not add to the word which I command you. He told Israel as they were in the wilderness, don't add to what I tell you to do. Don't modify my commands to you. Don't modify them in any kind of way. Don't tamper with what I say. I say it. I mean what I say. Take it as I mean. Don't tamper with it. The same words are repeated again in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and in Proverbs 30 verse 6. And all of those passages, just those three there, there's, there's many more you could probably turn to, but just those three have in common the reality that they all speak and they all, they all point to this idea of the arrogance of the heart of man. The arrogance of a heart in which you would hear the Word of God, you would hear what God says, and in your arrogance you would add to it. You wouldn't modify it as if you could modify, as if you were some kind of celestial uh, uh, reader of the communication of God in order that God might get it right. That you would add to the errorless words of the holy God is the height of arrogance. Add is the word to, it means to lay upon, lay upon. So you, in your own wisdom, in your own insight, in your own foolish arrogance of life, would say to God, that's okay, I heard what you said, but now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a little more, I'm going to lay upon that what, what actually it's, it's going to need to say. You add to God's Word more than what God says. So here in Revelation 22, to add to God's Word reveals the reality of the spiritual condition of a person's heart about the words of God. To say that, to, to live in such a way in which we add to the Word of God says something about the heart of man so that God makes this shocking declaration about their spiritual end. If anyone adds, verse 18, to them, if anyone lays upon them their own thoughts, their own ideas, their own uh, ways in which they tell God what He means by what He says, what does God say? I will add to Him the plagues which are written in this book. We spent months and months on those plagues. Shocking disasters. God shall add to Him all that he has written in this book. 
you read that and sit back in your chair gasping for breath at the shock of it and say to yourself, life has its consequences. Life has its consequences. You leave open the gate of foolishness in your heart to let that run rampant, particularly on the Word of God, and it has consequences. The life that arrogantly says that these words are incomplete or that these words are not enough. The life that arrogantly says with their own life that what this says is not the end of all things. That there is no hell. That there is no judgment of man. That God is just love. That that God would would never tell people that they're going to go to hell. God wouldn't do that. He would never send those who hate Him to a a fiery eternity. Yet here at the end of Revelation, it's clear that the one who testifies to these very things The very one who is testifying to these very things is the one who came before, who is coming again. Says those who say such things, they are simply adding to these words. They're adding to them out of their foolishness, out of their arrogance, and they will face the consequence of God because God will then add to them all the judgments that are spoken about in this book. Why? Because a person who treats the Word of God in this way demonstrates that they are actually an unbeliever. We know that the tribulation is not for believers. We know that the plagues of the tribulation are not for believers. We know that we will be snatched away Meet the Lord in the air. All believers will be snatched away. And yet, when someone says that won't happen, or when someone says differently about the Word of God, they are revealing to themselves what they think about the Word of God. Therefore, what they think about God Himself. And Revelation 22, verse 18 is very, very strong to say they better be careful Because you continue down that road, you are showing yourself to be an unbeliever. It is unbelievers who will with certainty receive the personal judgment of God upon their lives. So to tamper with these words is to add to them in prideful arrogance. But also, secondly, to tamper with these words is to subtract from them in prideful arrogance. Verse 19, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy. Takes away, it just means to remove, to, to, to erase it. To remove those parts that are unsuitable to the mind of men. To, to remove those words that are inexplicable, those words that are unpalatable to the fallen heart. To soften, to, to blur the lines, if you will, of, of the commands of God and what God says that are unacceptable to the heart of man simply because they are difficult to understand or difficult to explain. 
All of those, again, show the arrogance of the heart of man. God says to subtract from my word in some way because whatever reason you think it's unacceptable to your own human thinking, you think it's that I would not be like that because it doesn't fit your sense of whatever justice might be through your own fallenness as you look at it. That is the height of arrogant unbelief. And it's opposite of adding to the Word. It is taking away from the Word. Don't add to the contents of the Word and don't take away from the completeness of the Word. To say that we receive more revelation from God than what we have been given by God is to subtract and to add to the Word in both ways. God's canon is a closed canon. It is not open. People do not hear the words of God. They are not receiving special revelation from God in their ears that no one else knows. That is a heretical lie that is adding to the Word of God. And God tells us there's severe consequence for that. Notice, God will do His own subtraction. God will take away. It's the same word that's used in the beginning of the verse. If anyone takes away, if anyone removes, God will remove. Remove their part from the tree of life and from the holy city. We could say it in our own words. Those who think that they can alter the Word of God in any way, God says they have no place in the glories of heaven with me. The blatant disregard for the truth that's borne out in the heart of unbelief carries its own consequence. No part in the glories to come. Now you read this and you, you look at it like that and you think, well, does that mean we can lose our salvation? I mean, it seems like, right, they, they were in and now they're out. We cannot think that. We cannot allow our minds to go there in that kind of conclusive way because as we sit here today and we hear those words, they seemingly might indicate that in some kind of way, but that isn't the case. Because to draw that conclusion would be to, to defy the Word of God in its clarity in other places of Scripture. And so while the inerrant Word of God has been given to us, it has been given to us whereby it doesn't contradict itself either. The Bible clearly teaches that when we are saved, we are completely secure in God's hands. Jesus Himself, the one who is testifying here, says, listen, all who come to Me are secure. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. That's very comforting. That means you cannot get yourself out. If you didn't get yourself in, you can't get yourself out. But what is He saying here then? Well, we can notice the context tells us that the right to the tree of life is the right of those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Notice back in verse 14, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me 
to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning of the and the, the end. Blessed are all are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. You see, the right to the tree of life is only for those who know Jesus Christ, only for those who have believed in what God has said in His Word. God has spoken concerning His Son. His Son is the one who came, who died, who rose again, and we believe that. We believe what God said, and we have life in His name. His blood has washed us. So we have a right. A right to the tree of life. A right to enter the gates of the city, the holy city of God. And so those who have no part in this blessing of heaven are unbelievers. Those who have not had their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. Those who have not loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have not followed the Word of God. Those who have added to it, subtracted from it. Their treatment of the Word of God shows in the very character of their heart of unbelief. That's why they change the Word. They really don't believe what God said. They, they add to it and subtract from it to make it palatable for themselves so they can go off in some human false religion. And so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying the blessing of this book are only for believers. And true believers, true believers, those who believe God, work really hard not to add to or subtract from the Word of God. They take God at what He says. I find it just comforting how accommodating God is to us. It's almost as if this is just simple mathematics. Those who add or those who subtract from the Word of God show in their very lives to be those who have refused to believe what God has said concerning His Son. Because only those who have the right to the tree of life are those who have believed in Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to render to every man. He's coming with His reward, verse 12 says. He's going to render to them according to what they have done. According to their outworking of life, what they, their heart is reflecting in what they do. He's the one. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the first, the last. He, he's the one. And, and blessed, praised, are those who wash their robes so that they may have a right to the tree of life. You don't want to be on the outside. Outside are the dogs. Outside are the sorcerers, the immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices what? Lying. God is a God of truth. See, those who believe in all that God has said concerning His Son, they, they will know all the blessings of heaven. Why? Because the Bible is a book about the return of Jesus Christ. This is the final words that Jesus has for us. I'm coming quickly. He's coming again. You say, well, how do we know that to be true? 
Why? Why do we know that to be true? Because this is the testimony of Christ Himself. This is exactly how this ends. Jesus in verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. So Jesus is the one who's putting the stamp of of approval upon all that's been said, all that has come before, and all that has been said up to this point. He's, He's testifying to that. He's giving witness to the veracity of it all. And he's saying, I came before, I'm coming again. You can bank on it. Christ is told of these things. And he has guaranteed them on the basis of his certain return. What God promised in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, all of that took place in the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in order that he might give his life for all who would ever believe. And so too, his second coming is just as guaranteed. But this time... He's coming as judge. This time He's coming to render to every man according to what He's done. And so John prays that the grace of Christ will be upon all. I love that. Verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with all. The grace of God was shown to Adam and Eve in the garden as God had showed them a plan by way redemption would be able to be given and it would come through God. And here we are, the very last words of God to us. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with all. Grace. The undeserved favor of God. Don't you love that? You didn't deserve to get in. None of us deserve it. But all who believe can have it. Nobody deserves it, but but if you'll just turn to Jesus Christ, you can have it. None of us, none of us get to sit there and say, hey, listen, I'm smart enough. I figured it out. It's all because of me. That's why I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. You're not that. It was the grace of God who brought you in and all who are not in can be in if they will stop rejecting, embrace Jesus Christ, knowing that it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot, we cannot miss what Jesus says in verse 12 through verse 17. I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. I'm going to render to every man according to what he has done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega. I'm the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. In other words, listen, you can try to go around me, but you'll never go around me. You have to deal with me. I am everything. So blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, outside are the sorcerers, outside are the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. 
So the spirit and the bride say, come. Come. And let everyone who hears say, come. And so all of us who are Christians are saying to others, come. Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. God's message to us, beloved, from the very beginning has been the gospel. The gospel. That in Jesus Christ is life. There is no other. There is no other way. It is in Jesus Christ and all the way through Genesis, all the way through the history of the Old Testament and into the New Testament and the coming of Jesus Christ and his birth and his burial, his death, his burial, his resurrection and all that the Apostle Paul and all the other epistle writers have written to us all the way to the end is the same message. Won't you come to Christ? Come. Stop rejecting Stop adding and taking away from the book. The gospel was the first words of God to man, and the gospel are the last words of God to man. They are words pleading to man, saying to all of us undeserved sinners, come, come and believe This is what communion's all about. It's what communion pictures. It's a picture of grace. The grace that Christ would come. The, the grace that Christ would substitute himself for sinners like us. The grace of God that through His death on the cross, you and I would have life in Him. The grace of Christ to offer salvation by grace through faith. This is why John ends this way. This is the heart of God. The Holy Spirit carrying him along as he writes these final words, may the grace of Jesus Christ be with all. Don't tell me God doesn't have a heart to save. If, if this doesn't happen, beloved, if the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ isn't upon all, then you and I, what we have said about His Word with our very lives, is nothing but a lie. And really what we have said is that God's Word is not enough. Jesus Christ is the source and the end of all things. He's the goal. What makes heaven so heavenly is Jesus Christ. He is God. And so it is not just anybody who is calling us. This is God in the flesh. And so if we do not know Christ by faith, then we, like all unbelievers, 
what we have done is we have added to the Word of God or we have subtracted from the Word of God and all of the negative consequences of this prophecy are on us. And so, believe in Jesus Christ. That is what all men must do. We need forgiveness of our sin if we are to be in the glories of heaven with Jesus. The only means, the only means of having our sins forgiven is by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only means. There is no other way. I love that the Bible ends with grace. At the end of it all, God is still offering His grace. So it's a reminder to us, isn't it? It's a reminder to us as we come to the communion table of the grace of God. We have to ask ourselves, do I take the Word of God as seriously as God takes it? I need to. But what's your life reflecting? Is your life reflecting that you take it that seriously? Are we adding to the Word of God by taking His Word farther than God intends it to go? Are we subtracting from His Word by not taking the truth of what He said far enough? I pray that we are all standing in His grace. We are trusting ourselves to Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray together. Father, the truth of your word is weighty, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, divides down to the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Oh, we try to hide. We try to hide all kinds of things in our heart from others and Certainly we're good at disguising things before men, but nothing is disguised before you. Everything is open and laid bare before you. And so this morning, your word is doing that to us, challenging us and where we live, how sober-mindedly we take your word, living it out, doing what it says, Lord, we don't want to be those who add to it or subtract from it. We certainly know that in Christ we are secure as your children. And yet, oftentimes because of our own foolish ignorance and arrogance, we dishonor your name as we handle your word with foolishness. Help us. Help us by your Spirit to be convicted about those things and not do that. Be challenged in our own life, proclaiming the gospel and living the gospel. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that those who are your children stand in grace. And one day we will be with you forever. Bless our time now around this communion table. Help us to reflect upon all that it cost you 
to equip us to be in your presence without guilt. And we'll praise you for it for all eternity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.